RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Live is brought to you by Eagle Moss, Hero Collector, and their collection of exclusive merchant uh, Star Trek visual <laughs> reference books and other great titles and gifts waiting for you at herocollector.com slash books. Use the promo code MISSION10 at checkout for 10% off all books and graphic novels. And that was an, an, an auspicious start to the show, but uh, <laughs> hi, it's time to do the thing that we do with all of you. It's Monday night at 7 p.m. That means it's Mission Log Live, and that means that I'm John Champion. And I'm Holly Amos. Tonight on the show, your calls, your opinions, and your comments on Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 5, Die Trying. How's life treating you guys in the 32nd century? Let us know by clicking on the Zoom meeting link or use the one tap from your smartphone or call us at 669-900-6833. Make sure you enter the meeting code and password and you will be let in. Yes, yeah. So here's the thing. I, I've had, you know, I've got the iPad there, so I look at the chat. Uh, but I didn't realize that the uh, the volume wasn't down, so that I get that delay. So I'm reading, I'm reading, getting that cold open, just nailing that cold open for Eagle Moss, right? But meanwhile, I'm reaching over here, like, oh, wait, turn turn that down. No, I don't want to hear myself on a delay. That's bad. So then, uh, is yeah, that just, your excuse? Yeah, I just never do two things at once. I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna touch my glass of water because I, I cannot be trusted to do more than uh, one thing at a time tonight. I will touch I'll, my glass of water in my. Oh, see, cup. look, you're good. You're like a professional. You can be in a show, present, talking to me, and and enjoy a beverage as well. Uh, how you doing? Now you showed off your uh, glass of water. Your your sort of Klingon uh, tankard there. Are you gonna show off your new filing cabinet? Oh God! <laughs> Who? Why are you? Guys, it's not even a filing cabinet. I okay. Now I have to tell the story. <laughs> this so is Twitter. It was Twitter drama. I was, was on Twitter. It was. Yeah. I was. I was expecting something to be delivered today for a client, and I was. It's UPS, and I've been waiting all day. And they usually have this live feed of like where the truck is, but it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And so like I have no idea where the truck is. I had no idea. And I was like, "They're Murphy's Law says they're going to deliver it when I'm in the middle of the show." They didn't, but somebody was like, oh, you should do an unboxing. I was like, it's a file, but it's not even a file cabinet. It's not even a full file cabinet. It's a filing frame that fits into an existing drawer to make it a filing cabinet. Got it. That is less exciting than a file cabinet itself. Well, no, I mean, I think I can speak for myself and all of our Mission Log Live listeners when I say that we are very happy for you and your uh, drawer that goes into your fire. The irony. For the, the yeah. That it's actually too big and I have to return it. No. Oh, no. Okay. All right. Sorry to disappoint everybody in the audience. Uh, But (laughs) so speaking of everybody, uh, thank you for everybody who is joining us tonight. Great to see familiar faces there. There's Paul. There's Rebecca. There's Joyce. There's Narda. There's Chris. There's Kenneth, there's Sam. And by the way, Sam, Sam says, I'm really debating whether to stay up or, or asleep. It's 3 a.m. in the UK. Sam, thank you for staying up, at least for right now. We understand if you fall asleep in the middle of it or if you just need to, uh, to bow out. That's fine, too. You can watch us later. But thank you for being here alive with us now as we uh, start the show. There's Dennis, there's Vince, uh, there's Scott Palm. Hey, Scott, what's up? 
There's, uh, oh, Dominique. Okay, uh, so Dominic, uh, where, wait, wait, I, I missed his comment here. I love this. He says, loving our quick 32nd century Starfleet info pack scene, organic hulls, distortion fields, sustained by the collective energy of all the ships, new constitution classic event 2000, detached nacelles, and a flippin' flying rainforest, and it's all canon. That's, I, I hope that made your day, Dominic. That is, uh, yeah, quite the mouthful, and that is awesome. Uh, there's Marina, there's Dennis. Um, let's see here. Oh, Dennis says, I watched Elementary, my dear data, or Elementary, dear data this weekend and wondered, how about a Moriarty series? You know, well, Dennis, they're making like a series for everything now, so pitch it. Pitch it, it might get made. He's stuck um, in a box. Yeah, well, so the further adventures of Moriarty in a box. <laughs> Why not? He doesn't know. He doesn't know that at all. Uh, you got uh, you got Paul. You got other Paul. Uh, Paul wants to know if that's blood wine in the cup. No, it's just ice water. Okay. <laughs> because right. I'm sitting underneath a hot light, and it's not as cool as it should be in Southern California for the middle of November. Still the drink of a warrior. Uh, there's John Arminios's greetings, mission log compatriots. Uh, so many people joining us and saying hi. Uh, there's Paul. Paul says, such an interesting life for Holly. I think between the filing cabinet and the ice water, he's got you nailed. Uh, so, and then uh, David, David Takeshi, he recommends doing half a thing at once. And I think you're probably correct. Ooh. You're absolutely right. And Paul, uh, other, other Paul says that's three. They have a quorum. You got a Paul Fecta. So uh, that is absolutely true. Oh, and, and Paul two, who's actually Paul one says uh, Schrodinger was, was in the box. Okay. So, uh, not, not wrong at all. Uh, welcome to everybody. It's great to see you all here. And now I know you're doing what you need to do, which is clicking on the Zoom link or picking up your phone and either hitting that uh, one tap link on the phone or dialing us the old fashioned way. And then you'll talk to Earl and then Earl will talk back to you and then Earl will connect you through to us and then we will talk about disco. Uh, is that disco shirt that you've got there, Holly? Did that? Uh, did you order that? Because uh, like there were a lot of them around at the time. Or was that a like a CBS? Like a here you go. You're you're part of the family. That one. Yeah. Okay. I took good. it from the I took it from the archive. Good. Good. Get those perks. I remember we got a box of like a hundred of them. Um, it was the first season that they were this right? And they go yeah. jogging. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I remember when that came out and people were, uh, people online were like, oh, here's this, uh, the, this shirt. Like, why would they have that? Why would their shirt say that? And then suddenly they're just everywhere. And I think people embraced it and embraced the idea. I have the shoes too. Their shit. You do? Yeah, the, the actual. I do. The, the oh, Nike. Cool. Yeah, they were not easy to find. I had them shipped from uh, Russia. And um, they ended up being a a half a size larger than what I had ordered. And I was like, I don't have the capacity to send them. I'm just going to wear them. So I did. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Flopping around Star Trek Las Vegas in my clown shoes. (laughs) Very cool. All right. So uh, we'll give you a quick recap of what is coming up and then uh, the poll. And then we'll do the story. And it's time to talk to all of you. So much happened in this episode. So let's, uh, let's talk about all of it. Of course, next week, Mission Log Live will be back with Norman and Holly, and you guys will be discussing Star Trek Discovery Episode 6 of Season 3, 
scavengers. Can't wait for that. Um, and then this Thursday on Mission Log, uh, Ties of Blood and Water, as we're uh, getting kind of close to the end of season five of, uh, of DS9. So looking forward to that. And uh, as you uh, may have noticed uh, in the past episodes, and then Norman made a point of pointing it out last week, our promotion with cufflinksinc.com is happening right now. So I've got one on. I've got the lapel pin on right here. You can check that out. And I'm going to show you a little closer. Here's another one of their very cool lapel pins. So shiny. I know, right? They're, they're, they're small. They're like an inch, maybe a little less than an inch tall. And uh, well, let's see. The one that I'm wearing is about an inch. That one's about three quarters of an inch. They're very cool. And they're giving away. They're so generous. They're giving away five each to our listeners on Twitter and Facebook. So if you go to Twitter, if you go to Facebook, pinned at the top of our pages there, all you have to do is like that post, tag a friend. That's it. And then we will randomly draw numbers from the number of people who tagged somebody, and then you win. That's it. So if you tag somebody, but you want to win, you know, or that person wants to win, make sure that they tag you back or tag somebody else. We'll just keep it going. That'll be open until December 1st. So you got a few more weeks to do it. Uh, like it, share it, you know what to do, do all that stuff. And then uh, five random winners from each. And then the good people at cufflinksinc.com will send you your lapel pin. I don't know which one you're getting. I'm just showing off where they have multiple. So, you know, yeah. So it's a surprise. You will all be surprised. Look at, um, look at, Tate says that he's waiting for an Aichaya reference. Is that, is Me that, too. Yeah, okay. Now, uh, because we, we had, now they brought back the Selat in Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, and then we, yeah, we talked about uh, the Selat again in uh, season two of Disco. Just a little bit. Just a little reference. I want to see Aichaya, though. Yeah. We'll only uh, see him in the animated series. Yeah, I don't know if you will. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, flashback scene. All right. So uh, before we get to tonight's story recap, uh, how are you going to fill us in on the polls? Now, so, last uh, week we did best trill episode. We got 82 votes. TNG's the host got 11%. DS9's okay. Dax got 36%. DS9's Equilibrium got 21%. And Disco's Forget Me Not got 32%. So Dax won. Yeah, but but very very close to yeah. I mean, me close. Forget me not. Yeah, discovery. Yeah, I thought that was a very cool episode, and I just like seeing more of Trill. Uh, by the way, the Trill Homeworld, home of the Trill, from the city of Trill, doing Trill things all Trill day. I don't. I they need they need more names. They need more names. To do, do Trill? Does Trill? I think this was implied on this episode that we're discussing today that Trill doesn't have snow. I uh, and why not? I mean, I like, don't know, but she you know? <laughs> Adira yeah. said that like uh, he would never have forgiven himself if he sent a senatol. Right. Like he would right. never forgive himself if he hadn't seen snow on earth for the last time and i was like does that mean they don't have snow on trail i guess so. well see the, the way i interpreted it i thought he meant that senna was leaving earth for the final time and, and like that that would be the last place because it takes however many years when you don't have warp capability to get right. out to uh, federation headquarters again so it's like he's not going anywhere other than starfleet headquarters and that rainforest they you know they don't have a floating uh Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 
All right, so uh, this week yeah. we're asking what the favorite invention of the 32nd century is. Are these truly inventions? <laughs> they, they tr- yes, yes they them. are. Yes. We have 48 votes so far. The Voyager J has 29.2%. It's not really a new invention. It's just a new ship. Uh, the USS Nog has also has 29.2%. Nog. That gave Aww. me some feels. Yeah. The Flying Rainforest only has 14.6%. And David Cronenberg has 27.1%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm making that canon now that David Cronenberg is an invention of the Not even his character, century. the actor. No, just David Cronenberg, uh, director. Okay. And, and he, he has to then come back in time to the 20th century to, uh, to do his work, to create all these great films like like the fly and scanners and okay. many, many others yeah uh by the way uh alan responding to your comment about snow says he can't chill and trill <laughs> no <laughs> yeah he did and then uh and paul paul three uh maybe paul four paul four says actually i think trill's proper name is trillius prime is that right mm. I think they're just running out of names. I think that's the problem. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, let's get to our recap, and then we will talk to some of you. We've got a couple of callers lined up, but uh, there's room for more of you, so you know what to do. Hit the link, pick up the phone, do the thing, talk to the guy, then you talk to us. All right. Here we go. Die trying. Wow. 930 years in the future, and they made it. Disco has arrived at Starfleet headquarters. There's the Voyager J, and there's USS Nog, and the Flying Rainforest, and other technology that is blowing our damn minds. There's also a highly suspicious, somewhat abrasive staff ready to greet the ancient interlopers. Commander-in-Chief Vance points out the communications are still shaky, There are places at war. None of the stories from Discovery make any sense. And there's also a bunch of Keeley who are dying in the sick bay. Welcome home. But Disco's crew will need to be interrogated by a bunch of weird AI holograms and then ultimately split up and reassigned. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on right there. Yeah, this is all weird and new to everybody. And while it's really rubbing everyone the wrong way, Captain Saru is all for cooperating in order to be on the good side of the new Starfleet. Burnham has an idea to help, which might ingratiate them to the future a little bit too. Rather than breaking up the crew, why not use Discovery's spore drive to help save the dying Keeley? They're affected by a prion, a folding protein that they must have ingested on another planet. Finding a sample of the original unaffected protein would allow them to synthesize a cure. All they need to do is convince Vance to not break up the crew, at least for now, and let them go to the obvious place that has an unaffected sample, the old seed vault ship Tikov, cared for by a rotating crew of families for the last several hundred years. With the plan approved, as long as Saru stays behind as is what, collateral? Uh, Burnham commands the Discovery crew, but with Lieutenant Willa from the 32nd century along as an observer. While Discovery is away, someone else is getting a lowdown on the 32nd century. The interview with Philippa Giorgio gets off to a rocky start when she disables a couple of holographic inter- interrogators. This fascinates the human observer, Kovic, who has spent his life observing Terrans. By the way, Terrans have not fared so well. The Empire collapsed centuries ago, and that free and easy crossover from one universe to another is all but sealed up. 
There's also the little matter of having discovered a genetic variation that makes Terrans, well, Terran. Back on Disco, they reach the Tikov, which, to Lieutenant Nan's surprise, is being watched over by a Barzan family. She hasn't seen any of her own people in ages since she joined Starfleet. Bad news, though, the Barzan family watching this ship is dead, all except for the father, who is phasing in and out of existence, which apparently came from a bad burst of solar radiation. It's really messing with him. And as soon as a disco crew figure out how to beam him back into existence, his grief makes him very difficult to reason with. He comes around, though, and hands off the samples that Burnham needs so Dr. Culber can get to work on an antidote. One person from the landing party won't be going back, though. Lieutenant Nan has decided to stay. She's met one of her own, now in a time and place where she may never see one again. And this guy, Dr. Addis, is going to need her help. Discovery makes it back to Starfleet HQ. Vance is a bit more conciliatory this time around. They did, after all, bring back a sample that cured the Kilians. Disco can keep her crew together. But Saru tells Burnham that she needs to be cool. Oh, and there is something wrong with Giorgio. Don't know what yet, but David Cronenberg had something to do with it. The end. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm going to use uh, Kovic and David Cronenberg interchangeably. I didn't I, read your recap before because <laughs> I enjoy good. it so much. It, it, it's best to not do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, now you, so we were talking before the show and, and let's say we have Ken standing by, uh, we have Alan standing by. Again, any of you who want to join us, uh, uh, do the thing, click the link, pick up the phone, you know what to do. Uh, when we were talking before the show, Holly, you said that... Um, you're not a fan of horror. I, I'm honestly, I'm not a huge fan of horror. I cannot consider myself an expert by any stretch of the imagination. But there are some like iconic films that I really know and, and can really appreciate. David Cronenberg's The Fly, I think, is incredible. And I sort of know him as a personality, this director who does weird body horror stuff. But it didn't dawn on me it didn't click with me when i watched the episode the first time oh that's who that is because he's not he's not really known as an actor at all he's known as a director and i think to have him just underplay everything was such a stroke of genius you not being a horror fan not really knowing anything about him when, when you saw this guy were you just like who's the weird gaunt old guy or what, i, I, <laughs> what I was wasn't I wasn't simply because I watched the episode. I mean, there's a lot of people that stay up and watch it like as soon as it drops. And I'm Mm -hmm. always like asleep by then because I have like four jobs and I have to get my beauty rest. Otherwise I'm cranky. Um, (laughs) So I actually didn't watch the episode until late Thursday night. And by that time I had already seen people like David Gordonberg. Oh my God. And I was like, who is that? And I, I'm so, I have so many friends that are super into horror. I have friends that are, have actually been in horror films. I have friends that have directed horror films. It's mm-hmm. just not, never my cup of tea. I have nothing against it. Like, I don't think that it's like terrible or anything. It's just not mm-hmm. my shtick. And I was telling you before we went on the air, when I was in, in uh, college to put myself through college, I managed a Hollywood video. I went down with that ship. Um, <laughs> <I love laughs> um, 
they, I, I would literally hire people who said that one of their favorite genres is horror just to make up for the fact that like, I knew nothing about that genre. Um, so yeah, I did not know who David Cronenberg was, but I knew that this is the actor, like who everybody was talking about, um, having no concept of like who he is or what he did or like why he's such a badass. Mm -hmm. He actually like he's, he is though, like watching his scenes. I was like this guy, what a great addition. I, it was really <laughs> like I, it, because Star Trek typically uh, is played with heightened drama. Um, you, you know, obviously go back to Shatner, go back to you know Nimoy as Spock breaking down in uh, um, uh, not in Mirror Mirror, uh, The Naked Time, like mm-hmm. like from the earliest days. You know, they, it's this heightened kind of acting, and and there's not a lot of very naturalistic stuff. But then you take a guy like Cronenberg and you throw him in there where this, uh, everything is heightened, but he is so downplaying yeah. everything. He's and super baseline in it. And it's like It's brilliant. Yeah. The, his scenes, I mean, obviously the only scenes that we see him in is with Giorgio, but mm-hmm. the, they play off each other really well. They do. Those they sequences do. were great. Um, um, and they're both super mysterious. Like they're both talking and they're giving a lot of information, but you don't quite understand what's going on. Right, right. <laughs> I, I love uh, a couple of comments here and, and we'll, we'll get to Ken here in just one second. Uh, Tate says it's very much like a cigarette smoking man type. So going back to X-Files and I, I totally get that vibe. I, I absolutely think that. And David says, I mean, this episode has Oded Fair and David Cronenberg Need I say more? It, it was some great casting all around, uh, just to, to keep things uh, new and mixed up. And uh, by the way, Paul says Hollywood Video was awesome. Aww, <laughs> they put me through college. Wait, well, I don't know. If, I don't know if he's talking about your Hollywood Video. Uh, so, oh, Paul, well, the- have you ever made it to Holly's Hollywood Video? I don't know. Oh, my Hollywood Video was in Fullerton, California. Okay, I went to well- Cal State Fullerton. So. Paul, let us know which Hollywood video was your Hollywood video. I think video. it's an auto zone now, the last I checked. <laughs> That's so sad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's bring in Ken, who uh, will have our first uh, viewer comments of the evening. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, thank you. Great to be back. Hey, pleasure to see you. And and I, I love your background. Sticking with the theme, very nice. For now, I'll mix it up if I call in again. But <laughs> Very good. <laughs> it's got to go at least twice to really, you know, get the image there. <laughs> sure. Well, hey, uh, talk to us. What is on your mind tonight? Well, I had a couple disco? of things I was going to mention, but I do have to just comment on, on Cronenberg. I, I knew the name in advance. I did not know what he looked like. So when I watched the show, um, you know, I, I had no idea that that was Cronenberg. And yeah. it was, I just thought the, the gravitas that he gave to the screen. I mean, you just hung there. And again, like you said, very understated, but somehow yeah. at the same time, very impactful. So right. I, I, I fell in love with the actor, the character immediately. And I really hope they keep him, um, you know, in, I, later in the uh, yeah. season. Yeah, I, I do too. Because it, it, it's like you, you watch all of that and just go, something is up. This guy is the smartest guy in the room and probably has been for a while. What more are we going to learn from his presence there? And by the way, I don't want to derail us too much, but David in the chat here just said, he, he just looked it up. David Cronenberg lives in Toronto. He was just chilling down the street and they found him and said, hey, want to do Star Trek? 
I mean, I saw when I went and looked up, I went and looked up David Cronenberg when I saw everybody talking about like who he, why I was like, why is this guy such a big deal? And I went and looked him up and I saw that he lived in Toronto and I was like, well, it's because he lived in Toronto. And I imagined them actually doing that. Just like him perusing around Toronto and then being like, Hey, want to be on Star Trek? Like, and he was probably like, kind of wear my glasses and a tie. And they were like, sure, you're a David Cronenberg. Come wear whatever you want. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what a, oh, uh, uh, Hollywood video update, by the way, Holly. Uh, so even though Paul did not go to your Hollywood video, Mom. Jim Stoffel did. That's his hometown. Wait, 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 wait. There's two, there were two Hollywood videos in Fullerton. Oh. I, I, but I worked at both of them. I worked at one on Orange Thorpe and I worked at one at, on Your Belinda Boulevard. That's the one that I manage. Jim, we're going to need clarification here, okay? <laughs> Which so one? When, and and when? <laughs> so when, when you get around to it, this is very important. Uh, and Holly, I mean, you were just, you know, that was college. That was like a year and a half ago, right? Shut up. No, it was like <laughs> 11, it was 11 years ago. Thank you very much champion no. <laughs> no. uh all right ken what what else uh your your impressions of, of ah, well I, I i was kind of blown away in a nice way the way they brought in multiple new mysteries and we've had the burn you know it's supposed to be the defining mystery of the season but now all of a sudden you've got what the heck is going on with giorgio yeah. And then they nice. throw in that nice little thing about the song, which is like a, a B storyline. It's like, that's actually grabbed me as much as the Giorgio line. Do you right. have theories about what it, cause I have a theory. Uh, about which? About the song and like why people know it. And like, why, I mean, it's such like a passive comment. It's such a throwaway comment at the end of the episode. Yeah. But you know the way that the writers are. Like, that's actually important information. Oh, for sure. Like, why? You mean, the, like, it's, it's maybe in the ether? Well, mm. I actually, the first thing that I thought of was uh, TNG Silicone Avatar and how uh, the crystalline entity was destroyed. So Dr. Keela Mar, like, puts out a frequency and it, like destroys it and i was like what if there what if the song was transmitted somewhere from somewhere and everybody like was subconsciously hearing it and that's what the burn was yeah well yeah exactly i was gonna say you know that we, we know that all the ships went at all the dilithium went at once mm-hmm. you know which was something we don't understand you know how how you could get everywhere in the, in the galaxy or in the quadrant at least at at once but maybe the song could have been part of that because again it had to saturate the entire um region so maybe they're connected in some fashion how they would be i don't know uh maybe whoever caused the burn wanted the song to be in its the distributed i, I, I don't know time. I, I think, yeah, I mean, these things are most probably related because I, I don't think any of this, clearly nothing is by accident uh, when, when they're writing a, a, a script and, and plotting out a story like this. So uh, now Chris Riker says the song is Baby Shark for the 32nd century. Uh, no, Chris, no, no, <laughs> it's definitely not. Um, we hope not anyway. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, the, there has to be some tie into that thing and, and clearly they're trying to lead us along by even somebody like Vant saying look we just don't know there are more theories than we even know what to do with and there's no evidence around yeah he also said that like do you have any 
any pieces of info that we've overlooked. And I'm like, maybe the song was overlooked as a theory. Could be, could be. Yeah. And I, you know, you have to think obviously by putting disco there with the spore drive that they, you know, of course they're there to drive this along to give them evidence that they don't have. So, Tate is saying, Tate says in chat, Alamorain. <laughs> no, how dare you, Tate? How dare you? Can't. Oh, oh no, it's in my head. <laughs> oh God. Uh, oh, but then there's it, you know Giorgio. What what's going on there? Um, yeah, well, she. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, like Champion said, it's, Cronen, it's Cronenberg's fault. Something. Yeah. I, you know what? The way that she was acting, is she, like, did they replace her with an AI? That's exactly what I was thinking. You know, that it looked like maybe she hadn't completed downloading. The only problem with that is why is she standing in the hallway for the download? Why but, I mean, <laughs> whatever they're doing with her character could be how they offshoot her into Section 31 because, I mean... Yeah, maybe the real Giorgio is now off in Section 31 and they replaced her with some kind of LMD to cross universes here, which is maybe not fair. I mean, I hate to think of, I hate to think like what's going on in the storyline in terms of sh- other shows that we know are in production, right. but I feel like that's right. unavoidable. Right. But you know what? I, I had this conversation with, uh, with a couple of people uh, away from the show, friends of mine who, who watched Discovery and, you know, they were feeling like in the first four episodes especially because we're getting the carryover of the Giorgio that we met way back in season one. And they were saying like, okay, come on, like enough of this sort of one note Giorgio, the, the badass emperor who just always has a snarky comeback is always going to have a fight scene. When are we, when are we going to move this character along? When are we going to give her some dimension? And I feel like now finally in this episode, we're starting to see what that will be. We, we don't know where it'll lead. We don't know how profoundly it will change her or what she will become, but at least we know there's a crack in the armor. And because I, I don't think like, if you're saying to me that, uh, okay, uh, Michelle Yeoh, who I think is a terrific actor, if you're saying to me, she's going to get uh, a series lead as Philippa Giorgio, the former emperor of the Terran empire. And that is the lead of the series. I would have no interest because all we've seen is just her delivering the one-liners and kicking butt. And I'm okay with that a little bit of time, but not all the time. But you don't think that she has the dimension that's needed to carry, like, because I think about Giorgio the same way that I sort of think about O'Brien, because Mm -hmm. Giorgio has had quite a ride. Like, she was in the Terran Empire, Mirror Universe, Mm -hmm. and she went over to Prime, and now she's in, like, future Prime. Like, she's gone through. Like, she's jumped all over the place. And, I mean, I you know, I think of O'Brien and how he was this nameless extra in the pilot of TNG, and by the end of Deep Space Nine, (laughs) he had, like, a middle name and a backstory and had gotten married and had kids and had pets and, like... He was, he, I mean, maybe this is the beginning of a new O'Brien where it starts off and you're like, eh, and then like by the end of everything, she's the most developed character. Yeah, and if, well, if anyone in the show is disconnected, it's Giorgio, like you said, the three different universes basically that she's inhabiting. Yeah. It's, it's interesting enough exploring what happens to the Discovery crew as they go a thousand years of the future and lose every connection they have but Giorgio's done that twice now yeah there's, so there's yeah. potential there for really exploring you know there again cracks in her armor as you said you know she never shows anything she's always under control you may see her crack because of this 
Yeah, and there's a lot of people in the chat that are like, she's having an emotional reaction, having just found out that there's no, that the Terran Empire collapsed. And somebody, somebody compared it to when Bellana finds out that the Maquis collapsed in Voyager. Mm-hmm. Yep. And just that emotional reaction. So I don't know. Maybe she is having an emotional reaction. But my first thought was like, oh, she's an AI. That's what it looks like to well, me. Well, and remember they, they did, uh, David Cronenberg revealed that uh, in his studies of the Terrans, they found this uh, chimera, uh, the, this gene or the, this aspect to their stem cells that makes Terrans Terrans. So right. is there a little bit of uh, genetic manipulation or something that... Eugenics. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's like some weird uh, future evil scientist uh, who does this thing that maybe he's changed her in that respect. But we already knew that like the Terrans were different because we're given that information when you find out about the eyes. That's the big reveal of right. Lorca is that like, oh, he's from your universe because of the, you know, the eyes situation. Right, right. Um, Stem cells and eyes. That's, uh, that's what we got. Uh, that's what we got with Terrence. <laughs> um, but uh, but they, you know, I do hope that this uh, at least foretells a little bit of uh, growth and development because so far the only way that we've been able to build any sort of sympathy into Giorgio is just the fact that she's protective of Burnham and that's a weird misplaced thing, which is interesting. Uh, and they obviously alluded to that in this with uh, uh, David Cronenberg saying, Oh yeah, you're you know you care for somebody. Mm-hmm. You care for somebody on the discovery. So I still, I but I think that even that is weird, simply because mm-hmm. this Burnham is not her Burnham. No, that, right, which makes it so even when you weirder. say it's yeah. displaced, like absolutely, yeah. like every time that she has a reaction that is very obviously like related to Burnham, I'm like, but that's not the Burnham she knew. Yeah, I yeah. don't understand that. Uh, okay, all right. Yeah, so I, I want to see. I want to see Giorgio change. I, I want to see her more fleshed out uh, because I feel like we got a lot of those few aspects that we were introduced to. What feels like a long time ago. So time to time. You know, this has been a big season of change. Look at how different Burnham is now, and I think all for the better. Uh, look at how much growth we've gotten out of Saru. Look at how much growth we've gotten even out, out of some of the smaller characters like Colbert, like they've really pushed everybody along quite a bit. Now it's time to do the same thing with her. Um, What else? We'll have to take a break here in just a second. Anything else on your mind tonight, uh, Ken? I think just to express some appreciation for the folks doing the special effects at home, I thought one of the most beautiful scenes that we've seen in Discovery was Starfleet. Uh, Federation headquarters with the the flowing lights and the the moments, especially where the crew is gathered up against the windows and looking out, and it just—I mean—the biggest Christmas display you've ever seen. I thought that was lovely. Wasn't that cool? I kind of want, like, on the Blu-ray, I want the extended director's cut of that. This is the nine-minute fly-through. Oh, is it going to be, <laughs> like, the motion picture? Yes, that's what I want. Like, they did it in lower decks. So they could do it for disco, okay? Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fun. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for calling in tonight. You're most welcome, and thanks for having me again. All right, thanks. take care. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Hey, I uh, want to talk about books for a second, and then we're going to get to uh, Alan and John, who are standing by patiently. So I uh, want to talk about our friends over at Eagle Moss. Here yeah. 
All right. Indulge me then. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, uh, Mission Log listeners, that would be all of you. You are undoubtedly familiar with all the collections of model starships. Look, look at those behind me over there. So many of them. Uh, they, are com- they come from all corners of the Star Trek universe by Eagle Moss, Hero Collector. You may not be as familiar, though, with the wide range and ever-expanding variety of officially authorized special edition books published by Eagle Moss, and available online at the Eagle Moss shop. Fans who pay a visit to the exclusive Star Trek bookshop at herocollector.com slash books will discover a range of definitive visual guides that go as deep into Star Trek history and canon as any books ever published, each extensively researched and developed by Eagle Moss Hero Collector under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. Both books from the Star Trek Shipyard series present a timeline of almost every ship that has ever appeared in the Star Trek TV shows and movies from the original series, Forward to Discovery, Backwards to Enterprise. Some of these volumes are dedicated exclusively to Starfleet ships, while others focus on ships from other members of the Federation, including Vulcans, Andorians, Tellarites, and Bajorans. Are they still members of the Federation? I don't know. We're going to find out. (laughs) Well, hopefully we find out. Books in the Designing Starship series boldly go where few have gone before, deep into the scenes uh, deep behind the scenes into the conception, development, and details from ships from every era. These, there are even volumes from the comprehensive official Star Trek graphic novel collection. Hey, um, I, I'm going to show you something here. I think the, the B-roll, Earl, if we can kill the B-roll here for a second. So I, I'm so happy to have it. Put the dust jacket away because I don't want to mess it up because it's so nice. Uh, but the Star Trek Voyager book, big, glossy book, and it's awesome. And I always like to just flip through and find something that, that I didn't know, something that grabbed my attention, right? So here I've got the chapter on Neelix's Galley. Because I think you know me well enough and all the listeners uh, know me well enough to know that if there's a chapter about food, I'm going to find it. Uh, So in here, they talk about uh, requisitioning this galley and having 24th century technology, but with traditional cooking tools like uh, like Neelix using uh, a wide pan similar to a Chinese wok commonly found on Earth, which I'm going to say is a wok. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and then, and Thanks, then, props department. Yes, yeah, very good, props. And then uh, I love this. There's a picture down here that is uh, many of the dishes prepared by Neelix came from the Delta Quadrant cultures with unusual ingredients that were often unfamiliar to the crew of Voyager. And I'm going to hold that up. That's this little picture down here. I'm going to call that rice noodles. So there you, you know go. what, though? Voyager mm-hmm. had a food stylist. They did. Who's yeah. very good. She did a good job at, like, finding stuff here on Earth that looked alien. I would never turn down that bowl of rice noodles. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> so, so that is the kind of detail that you will find in this book. I mean, just every page has got awesome stuff in it. So check that out. And most importantly, if you go to the Eagle Moss Hero Collector uh, site, herocollector.com slash books, and use our promo code MISSION10, you'll get 10% off of well, just about everything. It doesn't have to be Star Trek books. It's everything. Uh, great gifts. Please get them for yourself, get them for friends, get them for family. Enjoy. And thank you, as always, to Eagle Moss for uh, sponsoring us and keeping this show alive. And, uh, and Dominic says, yeah, a walk is a walk is a walk. You're right. And I love a walk. And then uh, Tate says, waka waka. So you guys, you just have fun there in the chat. <laughs> Enjoy. Talk amongst yourselves. Uh, all right. So let us go to our next caller. Welcoming back to the show. It's Alan. 
creator of the weekly. Hey. How's it going, Alan? All the way I'm... from Lower Decks. <laughs> well, it's better than being from Iowa, which is where I actually am. So, <laughs> Never Jim been to Kirk. Iowa, so I can't comment on that. Jim Kirk is from Iowa? Come on. I, I've been there. I've been to Riverside. You've been to Riverside? It's a lovely place. Um, you know, uh, not to bring up the old Vulcan Alberta Canada joke, but has, <laughs> has anybody else been to Riverside? Anybody? Uh, anybody? I grew up in no. Riverside County, California, but that's well, there. You go. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's lovely. They they do have a nice monument, and uh, the tractor pull that they uh, put on during Trek Fest is lovely. They have Wait, a tractor pull. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Most okay. years, yeah. How do you wait? How, how do you tie this to Star Trek? Or there, there is no tie. They're just like there's people here. What do we do? We do tractor pulls. So well, that's, that's what they have it. in Iowa. Exactly. It. Yes. It's a tractor yeah. track. Yeah, tractor pull. There, there is a parade usually. The one year that I went, they went all out and they got George and Nichelle and Walter. Uh, and I think that's the last time they splurged for guests. So oh, man. There might have wow. been. I take that back. I think there was a uh, uh, a Bob O'Reilly, J.G. Hertz year, Hertzler year as well. But, mm. um, oh, cool! I did not get to go to that one. So, ha- have either of you been to a tractor pull specifically to a tractor pull? I... Not, not intentionally. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like a Star Trek tractor. I, I just, I, I, the mind boggles. I want to know how these things come <laughs> together, how these worlds collide. I've yeah. been to a tractor pull. I was very young because I grew up in the South and that's the thing that we have. And uh, one of my good friends at the time was an exchange student from Scotland. Well, what, not an exchange. He, he, his family relocated and uh, he and his father wanted to go to a tractor pull because they heard about this. I'm like, what is this thing, this weird American cultural event that you have called a tractor pull? So we all go and everybody's just screaming and going nuts. And then they would just like, a thing would happen. And then they would just applaud. And then quietly watch the next thing, and then they would just quietly applaud again, you know. So yeah, yeah. that was my that was my tractable experience. So sorry about that little uh, diversion, hey. Alan. What is on your mind tonight? About I, I think I think that's mostly my fault. So you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> but um, no, I, I I I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. Um, just like uh, you know, it's been a it's been a good season so far. I'd say. Um, I think. Uh, sort of piggybacking a little bit off of where you left off with Ken. Um, I liked the, I think my favorite part was, was kind of the, the intro to, uh, you know, them arriving at, at, at Federation HQ. Um, although I, I, I have to say that, you know, everything with the big fanfare music and everything, um, I just, everyone seemed really happy and it was the first five minutes of the show. And I was like, guys, this is not going to last. <laughs> yourselves. Um, yeah. in, a, in a different venue, I, my first thought was, you know, the last time I remember people being this excited, sci-fi people being this excited about getting anywhere, they thought they were getting to Earth. And that didn't work out too well either. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, though, like... I will say this about this episode. Um, when they when they got there, and I, I felt the same thing that you did. I was like, okay, 
here's five minutes of this awe and wonder of the future. And we know that what has to happen is that they, they get there, they're a thousand years out of place. Things are weird and wrong in ways they didn't even, they couldn't even conceive of, right? And they're going to be sort of, uh, they will be looked down upon. They will have bigger and bigger struggles ahead of them, uh, just trying to acclimate to what's happening. They won't be trusted. There will be all these problems. But then you have to get to a point where they are trusted by Starfleet in the 32nd century. They are able to prove themselves they're able to save the day in, in some way and, uh, and forge a new kind of cooperation. Like those are the beats that we had to hit in this episode. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I wrote this note to myself uh, when I was watching the show, which is, you know, I, I knew it was coming, or at least I expected what was coming. I feel like I knew it was coming. I feel like it was in a way predictable, but I'm so glad that it was. Like, and that's a very fine line. If you just serve me something in a TV show where I go like, okay, well, I could have seen that coming. It's a bit of a letdown. It's a bit of a bummer, right? You feel like they weren't very creative. But when it's something like this where I'm still along for the ride, I'm still invested in the characters, and I'm glad to get to that point where I felt like we were going all along in the episode, that just feels, it feels gratifying. It feels like a, a relief that that in the end there was this coming together, and hopefully leads to more and better in the future for them. But there were still things that that surprised you, right? Like I oh, knew absolutely. that you know they were going to show up and it was going to be fanfare and stuff like that. And but um, there were there were two instances that that made me tear up, and they were really similar. It was when Saru found out that his that Kaminar had joined the Federation. Yes. And Super when good. Nan found out that Barzan had joined the Federation in the 25th century, because they, they yeah. both had the same reaction. Um, and finding out that both of those worlds had joined the Federation at one point uh, it, yeah. was, it gave me a lot of feels. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Which I didn't expect, because, you know, obviously that's not, that's a detail that I didn't expect yeah. them to work in. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's sort of, <clears throat> again, it's, it's, it's sort of all tying back into this idea of the Federation coming back together. And, you know, even people that we didn't realize were part of the Federation, you know, that's, you know, we've got to get them back too. Um, I was not expecting seeds to be as big of a, a plot point as they were this episode, but I thought that worked rather nicely. You know that that's mm -hmm. a, like, that's not a new concept though. Like we have one oh, yeah. here in Norway. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but, Do we uh, think that it being on a ship is the best idea, though? Uh, <laughs> apparently not. It was oh, convenient yeah. for the storytelling, but I was yeah. also like that a lot of things. I mean, they were stuck. Well, you find them and they're in an ion storm. I'm like, they could get attacked with by somebody who doesn't know that they're, you know, or doesn't know or doesn't care that they're trying to do good or what we see as right. good is how I mean they could crash they, there's so many things that could go wrong and I was like why why is it on a ship space birds space <laughs> birds could come space birds nobody wants that um yeah, it seems like you could have you could have actually played out that story anywhere. They, they so could have been, been on, on like a planet. some tucked away planet that no one ever comes across. That is, yeah, you know, yeah, would be. I mean, would be harder to blow up. I mean, we've yeah. seen planets explode before, but yeah. 
it would be uh, harder to blow right. up than the teeny little ship that they had. Right. And it was teeny. And I kept wondering, why didn't they just put it in the hangar bay the way they did? Tate is asking, ship? Tate's asking, were they hiding in the storm? Were they hiding in the storm or were they like stuck there? I, I got the impression they were stuck there, that they weren't hiding there. I don't uh, think they made that clear. Yeah, I don't think they did. Why, I mean, I would not want to be in an ion storm. No, nobody does. No. Uh, Dave Taylor. I mean, but they do use nebula. I mean, they hide in nebulas. We've seen that before. They I don't do. Know. That's true. Uh, Dave, Dave makes a point in the chat. He says, I was worried that Starfleet had gone bad. And I, I think that, that definitely taps into something that I had a problem with in the first two seasons of Discovery that I'm not having a problem with now, which is you know, the mustache twirling bad guy. And in the first season, it was mirror universe, mirror universe, mirror universe, cram that down your throat. In the second season, it, it, it was less of a bad guy, bad guy, but we, we still had problems to deal with that just seemed like um, they were sort of beyond reconciliation. Now I feel like with the way that Starfleet is, the way they're acting, like we look at them, we go, okay, that's us. That's us after this terrible problem. We can understand why we would be uh, fearful, why we would be a bit more isolationist. We can understand how these things could shake down. Now we have to figure out how to rebuild those bridges. It, it makes it a much more interesting and nuanced plot to me instead of just like, well, we need to kill the bad guy. <laughs> well, then, I mean, and I, I get from the perspective of like how you say, you know, mustache twirling bad guy it's mm -hmm. baddie just to be a baddie i think of a lot of disney villains in that way like you don't mm. actually know their motivation um and i started thinking about how i think this is in my notes somewhere my crazy just our, our, our stream of consciousness <laughs> yeah. yeah stream of consciousness um yes. we know now that the terran empire fell don't exactly know when but we still don't know what started the terran empire right we That's don't true. know when it yeah. started we like in canon we, I, I mean, the earliest it, that we see is, you know, in, there's actually reference to it in this, you know, April 5th when mm -hmm. we see that in, in Enterprise where instead of, you know, making peaceful first contact, you know, Zephram shoots them. Um, but in the, the intro to the Enterprise Mirror episodes, we see that there's all of these things that are like way back when, and, but we don't know what what I feel like might be the event that kind of branches them off in the same way, like the Kelvin universe does, like there's mm. an actual event that branches them off. So like, we don't know when the Terran empire started. We don't know their motivation. We don't know why they're so evil. I would like that to be explored because until it is, like you yeah. said, they're just kind of mustache twirling bad guys. Yeah. That's it. Which they're, I mean, yeah. was a trope back in the day when the mirror universe became a thing when in TOS, but sure. But see, I, and I, I sound like a broken record. I was always fine with that, just like leaving it as a one-off in TOS. Like, here's the metaphor to tell this story, to tell this type of thing. You know, one but now I want another motivation. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, if you're going to go there, now you need to actually give it reason. Yeah. Um, Alan, any other thoughts tonight? Well, yeah, I just, I just wanted to, you know, again, kind of going back to the, the mission to save the seeds, um, I, I thought that was a good sort of uh, exercise in uh, allowing Discovery and the crew to uh, to prove themselves to the to the new Starfleet. Um, I've seen a little bit of pushback um, in other places about well, what are people from a thousand years ago going to be able to you know offer to Starfleet? And it's like, well, 
it's not exactly, you know, the same as someone from the quote unquote dark ages, just showing up and expecting them to, you know, run a, a, a forklift or something. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they have the same basic technology and the same basic ideas and they, they're, they're not going to, you know, mistake anything for magic. And, you know, there, there are things that, you know, we as humans knew thousands of years ago that we still can't figure out how they did. Um, if an ancient Egyptian could teach us a thing or two about building pyramids and no, no aliens. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And if they could I mean, teach us a thing or two about building pyramids, I'd, that is not uh, an I'd, acceptable I'd put one in the backyard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, it's good that, that, that discovery had this opportunity to be like, no, we, we do have a point. We do have a purpose and mm -hmm. we're, we're going to be, you know, valuable for you going forward. So, you know, yep. keep us together, please. Yeah. No, I think I, thematically that nails it. It, it yeah. absolutely does. And yeah. uh, I will say, uh, uh, jumping back topics a little bit, uh, Holly, um, it's great to be getting to know you here because I think in our past lives, we might have been enemies because I was a Suncoast employee. Oh, I loved Suncoast. Ah, well, there you go. Yeah, I used to go. There was a Suncoast in our mall in Brea, which is right next to Fullerton. And I used to go there all the time to find hard to find stuff. I loved Suncoast. Go. Absolutely. Yeah. I, although, you know, my, I think my experience probably outdates yours by about a decade and that company was out of business by the time you were running your Hollywood, but no, it wasn't. Really? The Sam no, Goody, the Sam it was Goody empire did not crumble. Like the, the no. <laughs> Suncoast. Yeah. Suncoast was still, I actually funny story though. I used to tell people, people used to come into my Hollywood video all the time, ask me for like a hard to find thing. And I would be like, we don't have it you should try Suncoast. Absolutely. I used to refer people to the Suncoast and Brea all the time. Ah, uh, yes. We're off topic. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. I've dragged this off topic again, so I should probably go. <laughs> I love it. That's so cool. People are very excited. People are like, uh, uh, Tate, I was a Suncoast employee before it closed. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Cool. Alan, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Will do. All right. Cheers. He truly, <laughs> he truly would have been an enemy if he had said he worked at Blockbuster. Oh, oh, oh. then it's like street fight time, right? They were the enemies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Alan. And then uh, rounding out the show tonight, happy to welcome back John. John Arminio, welcome. Which video chain did you work for? <laughs> uh, <laughs> None of the above. Yeah, unfortunately, no. I, I was not um, privileged enough to rent VHSs out. To uh, I'm sorry, you'll have to leave the episode. No, 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 no. Stay, stay. Uh, yeah, so what is on your mind tonight? Um, well, as a huge horror fan, I was tickled by the presence of David Cronenberg. It's not something that I um, ever expected. He's... He seems very aloof when it comes to popular culture. Like, it's just not something that, that in, especially big franchises, just not something that, that interests him. Mm -hmm. Like, if he didn't know who Batman was, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> so, um, but he has been appearing in, like, independent Canadian horror films and short films for, for 
decades. Wow. He just sort of pops up into like student films and stuff, just like to do a favor for a fellow Canadian filmmaker. Um, so yeah, he seems like a super cool guy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's really interesting. That's awesome. I'm really sorry. I'm only figuring out who he is now. This is a shame. I, I kind of think of him as like the David Lynch of horror. It, it, it's like a guy who who just does his own thing. Yeah. Just has his own vibe. And, and like, I don't know if he's still doing it, but you know, for ages, David Lynch would do his daily weather update. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just sitting at home and just, and there's nothing to it. it. It's not like a funny, it's not like a bit. He's just like, well, today, you know, it's going to be 80 degrees in LA and uh, no chance of rain. And, and, and that's it. That That's the whole thing. And it's just like what he does. And I just feel yeah. like a David Cronenberg is the same kind of thing. It's like, there's not a lot of pretense or irony there. He's just doing what he does. So, yeah. yeah. Wait, wait, cool. wait, wait, wait. Somebody... Mm-hmm. Oh, no, never mind. I thought well, no. somebody was saying that they recognized me from Hollywood video. Oh, oh my God. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's, we're, we're back to the video wars here. Uh, Sorry. Let's see. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, oh. Tate, Tate also said, Tate said in the comments, and I mm-hmm. said no, um, that he thought that uh, an event in Enterprise's Stormfront is what launched the Terran Empire. And, and no. No. No, no, we literally oh, no, no, do not you, know. You yeah, yeah, yeah. You we don't know what launched the mirror universe, like, yeah. at all. People, I mean, I have theories. People have theories, but we don't know. It's not canon. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll may, maybe we'll find out more. Well, actually, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'm going to do a whole, just a whole email file called actually. That's going to, yeah. I mean, <laughs> anyway. semantics. We talked about semantics from an episode from last week's episode how i i never mind keep going (laughs) john take us off this dark path what uh yeah (laughs) what what else is on your mind today Uh, about the show this is something i've been wondering for the last few episodes is that Mm -hmm. is there gonna come a reckoning for giorgio and her presence on discovery because she was the dictator of an evil empire she committed some war crimes. She made meals of Kelpians. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's just, you know, here making quips, having tete-a-tetes with, with, with David Cronenberg. So I'm, I'm just wondering, right. is the show cognizant of the fact that, you know, she's murdered millions of people and we just sort of tolerate her because she can fist fight pretty good? Yeah, so that that really, oh, I'm so sorry, I just bumped the table in a major way. Um, that really is sort of the, um, I think the important thing about how we decide what we're going to do with Giorgio, which is, okay, is she going to be redeemed? Are we actually going to have a character who will go through a, a big enough an understanding of who she is or who she was and what she could potentially be if she uh, uh, finds some kind of redemption. Um, Are the others around her going to take her to task for that? I I mean, I I can't believe that Saru can even be in the same room with her at any given time. Um, You know, and then what does this say about, or or do they even care? Like, are they trying to make a statement here about the nature of evil? Um, you know, I, I think if we were just dealing with a purely human character and we could say, okay, here is here's a human who has done something terrible who can be redeemed through 
you know, one reason, one contrivance or another. But now we're saying it's sort of like midichlorians. Like now here's somebody who by their nature, by something that is baked into their DNA, makes them awful, makes them, uh, 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 she says, you know, nastier than the average Terran. Um, is that something that they're going to say like, oh, well, all we have to do is turn that switch off and then she's okay. You know, I, I don't know that that's necessarily fair to yeah. what all we've already learned about that character. It, it probably isn't fair at all. And it's definitely not fair to the legacy of shows like, or episodes like Mirror Mirror, because I think what made that show so powerful is Spock's sort of you know, realization at the end of, of how, you know, small acts of courage could really turn things around. And so if we say, oh, all we need to do is swoop this genetic switch, right? then Spock's sacrifice and realization in that episode it yeah, becomes less that's, powerful. That's yeah. sort of my, and, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, like, what's the motivation? Like, my yeah. assumption of the mirror universe has been, again, there was always an event, there was some sort of offshoot, there was some reason. And now to find out that they're implying that it's just, like, genetic, like, was it eugenics? Is that, like, is, mm -hmm. is is the motivation not an actual outside source like an event, but is it genetic manipulation and when did that happen? And I don't know. I think I might be a little bit disappointed if it turns out that they're evil. I mean, it would be better than evil for the sake of evil. Um, but I feel like them making it like a genetic thing is, I don't, I yeah. feel like that's sort of a cop out. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I think yeah. at the same time, I don't time, think that that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. We'll put it that way. And and at the same time, I'm also worried that, like, I like that Discovery is moving away from the Mirror Universe and any attachment it has to the original series, because I think for this show to move yes. forward, it has to I am, tell its own story. I agree with you. I'm so glad. And that's one yeah. of my notes, all caps, is like, yes, we're in the future. We're <laughs> yeah. in the future. Like, I've always, and I think that a lot of fans, I even saw somebody comment today that when Enterprise premiered, they were, you know, disappointed to find out that it was, you know, that it was a prequel and, you know. Mm -hmm. Discovery ended up being a prequel and everybody has wanted to see what is after. Now we actually have two shows that is after the timeline that we had run up to um, lower right. decks is technically after. And now, so is this. So, you know, there's and, and Picard. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. So there's three. Yeah. yeah. Picard too. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I love the connection between Picard and the Kelvin universe too. That made me really yes. happy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're in the future. You know, we can put new stuff in without people being like, well, how does that fit? You know. Yeah. yeah so any, any sort <laughs> Production of values are different. Yeah. So any sort of explanation as to how or why the, the stuff from the original series happened is, would be sort of reductive for the show as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. Uh, but by the way, there's a couple of quick notes here. Scott sure. Baum says, tell me there isn't a Sung, uh, Sung family member around still. <laughs> yes. There's so I, many yes. Sung, man. They're all please, over the universe. Please, Scott. I agree. I agree. Um, uh, but yeah, you, you know, I, I feel like there is a way to do uh, Star Trek set in time periods that we've already been. Uh, but without beating you over the head that it's Star Trek. And, and I don't want to talk about that other franchise too much. Like I'll, I'll do another show about it, but I feel like Mandalorian is a show that kind of gets that yeah. right, where they're not just reminding you all the time, like, hey, remember that thing that happened with the Death Star with that guy Darth Vader? And remember that? Like, no, no you don't have to do that. It's just characters who exist in that world. I think Discovery could have been that show if they decided early on enough, like, 
hey, we're just, we, we exist in this universe. We don't also then have to have Sarek and Spock and go back to Talos yes. and have fight, you know, like just, just leave it alone, guys. Like, have that the being said, to do your thing. that mm-hmm. being said, I was, you know, pretty excited for them to expand on both Pike and number one. Yeah. Well, see, that, I love getting... the character of number one. And I was always, I've been, you know, sad yeah. since, I mean, that premiered, you know, long before I was born, but so I was like, I, f- I wish that they hadn't rejected that because I think that number one could have been a super interesting character. And we only see her in yeah. one episode. Yeah. Well, too, if you count the menagerie. But. Getting, getting more Pike is a great thing. See, Pike, that's another great opportunity because up until Discovery, we literally had one hour of Pike. I, and I, I, yes, we, we did have him in the movies a bit, but then they killed him. Uh, yeah, that's sorry, spoiler. Pike. Yeah. Uh, but we literally had an hour of Pike. And th- there's all this just vast room to grow that character and not feel constantly trapped by having to, you know, rehash everything. <laughs> I feel like I'm contradicting so. myself because I'm like, I love that they're in the future. But also I love but that I they love expanded Pike. on yeah. these two characters that we didn't get to see because the network executives were rude yeah. back in the day. But that's why, that's why Star yeah. Trek's great. It makes us able to think two uh, opposing thoughts at once. It challenges us. That's I good. love that line that that line that, that, line that Vance said. Uh, uh, what was his? Uh, oh man, where I wrote it out. Two truths now exist in one space. That yeah. never goes well. <laughs> that Very was good. an awesome line, uh, John. We we've run over, and I know that we could just keep going and going and going, but uh, but we shouldn't. So yeah. uh, thank you so much for calling in, and uh, please do it again. I hope to see you thank here you. again soon. Cheers. Have a great night. And uh, Holly, any parting shots here? Any last important note that you didn't get to? No, I'm good. You're good? I'm good. Okay, all right. (laughs) Then with that, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live is by the inveterate Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Hey, accessories tonight by cufflinksinc.com. Thanks to everyone who joined us live or later. Stay safe, please. Stay healthy. We look forward to talking with you next week. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network